Hello and welcome back to episode 33 of Double Reel. This is the second reel of our monthly magazine-style podcast for film nerds. Hopefully you've caught up with the first reel, had a brief intermission and refueled ready to take on this mighty second instalment of Nerdy Film Chat. If you haven't caught the first reel yet, please do go back to your app and download and listen to it, so you're up to date with all the features we've covered already this month. These include our roundup of news and spotlight on some of the films we watched this month, our classic and recommended feature Green Room, our hidden gem Apocalypto, the one that got away about Paul Verhoeven's crusade, and our remake Hate Watch of Death Race. Now in Real 2, we bring you our big conversation where we get into a fuller, i.e. longer discussion. As it's January and we enjoyed doing it so much last year, we've decided to give you lucky people the second annual Double Reel Awards for excellence and otherwise in the films of 2022. First, a very warm welcome back to my co-host, James Adamson. Thank you very much. Happy to get back into it. So, uh, what sort of year do you feel like it was for films last year? A bit more normal, a bit more like a real film year than the year before? Yeah, well, the restrictions from the pandemic were lifted, so you could actually go and see more films. So I think there was that kind of more of a cinema buzz around films as opposed mm. to you know them all being on streaming platforms. So it did feel yeah. a little bit more normal, yeah. but we're still to get back to that. I know we discussed it um, on the, the first reel, didn't we? About yeah, the, there are fewer films being, being released than before. We're hoping that's going to be more like a normal year this year. Only slightly down is the prediction, but we'll see. So the awards that we that we do, a lot of them um, are pretty similar to the other big awards, you know, like best screenplay, best supporting actual, that sort of thing. The things that are say so different from some of the big awards um, are that we're very strict about the, the the time period. The films have to be released in the UK uh, in the calendar year 2022, so January the first to December the 31st. It means that a couple of films that we discussed were actually covered in. Uh, uh, awards uh, the previous year because the Oscars hold it open until like the 4th of, of Jan or the 10th of Jan or they were released in late December in America and only in January here uh, we also dispense with like the adapted and original screenplay we just have one screenplay um, you know we don't do literally everything you know we don't do costume design and stuff like that but we do kind of the main awards and uh, what, what James and I are going to do is we're going to talk through who our nominees are for each award and then arrive at uh, a decision we both agree with on, uh, on who should win it. And obviously we've been critical of the uh, Golden Globes for having not enough voters and not being diverse enough. Well, we've only got two voters in our academy and we're in the same family, so that's about as undiverse as it gets. But uh, you're just going to have to live with it. Um, so, uh, James, without too much further ado, um, the first uh, one I've got down here um, for the award categories is Best Supporting Actor. Um, who did you have down as your, who stood out for you as best supporting actor last year? So, I really liked Ed Norton in Glass Onion. I thought okay, he was okay. really, I thought he was really dislikable and he, he, that was perfect for what the film needed. I thought he played the role very well. He was just so obnoxious and arrogant and you just hated him and it was, without spoiling the film, it, um, it was very satisfying for the, yeah. when the ending yeah. comes along. Yeah. Anyone um, else? That would be my, um, I was going to put Daniel Craig in there for the same role because I feel like his role in Knives Out isn't that leading. You know what I mean? He's in it more than he is in Knives Out um, in Glass Onion. So um, I was tempted to put him here as well, but I thought, no, I'll save him for later. That's that's interesting. That's uh, I mean, you're definitely right about Knives Out. He's almost more of a supporting actor in that. Um, and yeah, it's considering he's sort of the going to be the main draw or the mainstay if they keep making these films. It, it is interesting that the, he sort of comes across as a supporting actor for you that way. I had some nominations in this area. I had Nick Cage for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, where he <laughs> plays his own crazy invisible friend. 
Um, that's another odd one. He's the lead in the film, and it's about him, but he actually has a supporting role as well. John Boyega in The Woman King, Kieran Hines for Belfast, and both Paul Dano and Jeffrey Wright in The Batman. Okay. Yeah, I could get on board with both of Paul Dano and Jeffrey Wright. Um, I mean, Kieran Hines in Belfast was really strong for me. That's a really emotional role. But, uh, you know, different, you know, Paul... See, Paul Dano for the Batman, I do feel a little bit like, okay, is that just them trying to do what Heath Ledger did with the Joker? But he was very, very good. I mean, Paul Dano was always very good. And I thought Jeffrey Wright, um, considering that's just the very traditional kind of the cop who supports Batman role, he just kind of, Jeffrey Wright just brings this kind of, um, I don't know, just authority to everything he does that I, I really liked. But uh, He's very stylish with yeah. everything he does. Yeah, even though, even in, a, even in an unstylish role, if you see what I mean. Yeah, he's you know, which is why he's uh, he stepped up there. Um, who would you, uh, where where would you lean across all of those? I mean, now that you've mentioned them, I do actually. I'd com- forgotten about the Batman. I forgot that was twenty twenty two. I thought it was the end of twenty twenty one. So I I actually it was kind of curveballed there with um, Paul Dano and um, Jeffrey Wright. Um, I've not seen Belfast yet, um, but from the way you're describing um, Kieran Hines' performance, you're making it like it was very, very strong. Um, what did actually win Best Supporting Actor last year? It was uh, Troy Kotzer for Coda, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. I've not seen that. Have you seen that? No, and I think sometimes the supporting actor and actress roles, I mean, they're always given out for like a range of reasons. And sometimes if a film's got this huge momentum, that you know that that can kind of help them uh, the people that were in it sometimes uh, it, sometimes it's a very nostalgic one where you know it's like robin williams they went oh well, i don't think he's ever going to win best actor and he was really good in um uh in goodwill hunting so he gets it even though it's not his best performance so support an actor is it's a funny one that but i mean yeah. well, K- kieran hines just as the granddad i mean he was just so um you know uh um sort of you know emotionally affecting um I mean, given we've, I mean, if if you were going to give it between Paul Dano and Jeffrey Wright, um, where where would you land? I'd pick Paul Dano just because it's the Batman series since Heath Ledger has really struggled to have a kind of captivating villain. I did enjoy Bane, but his performance was kind of somewhat muted throughout the rest of the, compared to the rest of the film, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I did enjoy Bane, and then since then, you know, the Batman films, you probably shouldn't speak about them, or the DC films in general, the the villains have been really, really weak. Mm. So, I, if, to pick between those two, I'd pick Paul Dano, but... Um, I, t- I tell you what, I, I, I also tend to agree, just because Paul Dano had so much to do there, he had to, like, you know, dr- the, the, the villain drives the film in a lot of ways. Um, he... He's, there was always going to be comparisons to Heath Ledger. There's been so many DC films recently where the villain w- was a failure. So for him to come out from under all of that, um, as well as being a really compelling villain, um, let's give it to Paul Dano. Any objection? No, no objection from me. Okay, let's do it. Paul Dano wins Best Supporting Actor for 2022 for The Batman. Congratulations, Paul Dano. Your uh, uh, postal order for 50 pence uh, is, is on its way to you just as soon as you get in touch. Um. So we next go to supporting actress. Um, do, who uh, who stood out for you in supporting actress? Um, so I really liked. Um, I don't want to get her name wrong, but it was um, again. It's another glass onion. Glass onion pick, and it was Janelle Monae. Janelle Monae. Yeah. 
Um, I thought she was really good, and I don't want to spoil it again because there's big plot twists in that. But she has to, she has to play. She's got. There's a lot of asked of her in that film. Yeah, um, yeah, like, like, you're right. We could some of the things we would say about what was good about her performance might be plot spoilers. It's it's a massive plot spoiler, isn't it? Um, yeah, but she was. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I I I have to say I like Janelle Monae's performance as well. She's she was very good in um, what else have I seen her in? Uh, Moonlight. That was very good. Um, names that, that stood out for me were um, Katrina Balfe in Belfast, Kate Blanchett in Nightmare Alley. Both of Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Stephanie Sue in uh, Every, Everything Everywhere All at Once and Lashana Lynch in The Woman King. I thought it was really, there's a lot of strong supporting performances because I've not mentioned there in, in sort of in, in the shortlist uh, Kristen Stewart, Crimes of the Future, Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and two more people from Nightmare Alley, Tony Collette and Rooney Mara. So there, there really were, I feel this is the maybe the strongest category of the year. But I have, you know, I, I can totally see why you, uh, why Janelle Monáe stood out for you because she was very good. Yeah, she was very good in that. Um, what about you? Who would be your pick? Is it going to be everything, everything, everywhere, all at once for you? <laughs> I mean, the, the one I'm leaning, the one I was leaning towards was Jamie Lee Curtis and Everything Everywhere. But I mean, Janelle Monáe was very good as well. I mean, she did drive the drive the film. And uh, I don't know, do, have you seen Everything Everywhere all at once? No, I haven't, but I think I have to go watch it now that it's kind of getting rave reviews, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, f- for the same reason that I can't give out too many plot spoilers, Jamie Lee Curtis has an absolutely huge amount to do in in that f- for Janelle Monáe. For, let me put it this way, for similar reasons, only more so. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the number of different things that she had to do in that film were, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis really kind of... And it's also partly, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis getting to do something like that as well. I mean, you remember what she was like in, in Knives Out? She's she's really having this great sort of late career. And I just thought everything ever, ever all at once just really was a really crowning performance for her. Yeah. So she, um, she, she'd be my pick. But I know it's hard for you having not yet seen the film. Well, didn't... Um, what was I going to say? Um... Angela Bassett won, didn't she, at the Globes for yeah, Black, Black Panther? Panther. I've not seen it. You have. Would you agree? Or she was very good. She was very good. I don't okay. think she had. She didn't. I don't think she had as much to do with the film as uh, as Jamie Lee Curtis did or, or as Janelle Monae did in their respective films. So those supporting actors can be funny, aren't they? Can they only be in it for like ten minutes, like when um, Judy Dench won Best Supporting Actress for just showing up in like two scenes in uh, in Shakespeare in Love. So. Yeah. It's maybe harsh to say that Angela Bassett wasn't in that many scenes of the film. She she was good. Um, she was, I mean, I, and I really like Angela Bassett. I'm I'm not averse to her being kind of in in the conversation either, actually, because she was very good. Okay. Um. I mean, I'm I'm happy to go with um, Jim Lee Curtis if if. That's who you. I'm just trying to look at like nominees, and I've seen the Banshees of Inisherin and, and Kerry Condon. She's okay in it. She is good in it, but I, yeah. I was underwhelmed by the film in general. So, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of nominations here that I kind of feel like they're missing out. I feel like Janelle Monae is actually she's kind of been hard done by for not getting a nomination. It's not. The, I don't think it's like the kind of film that gets that kind of um, credit. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Well, Daniel Craig got nominated. Did he really? Yeah. in the Globes. Yeah, that's, that's a bit harsh on Janelle Monáe. I mean, I, I wonder with Janelle Monáe if it was a case of people not being sure whether to put her down as supporting or leading. Yeah, I suppose. 
But uh, I, I, I think over the course of all of these categories, there'll be a couple of times where one of us has to give the other one the benefit of the doubt. And I think I'm going to cash in one of my chips here, if that's all right with you, mate. And I'm going to really, I'm going to ride hard for Jamie Lee Curtis here. Yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. So Jamie Lee Curtis wins Best Supporting Actress uh, for her part in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Congratulations, Jamie. And we will obviously see you at the after party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now, now we go to, to screenplay. And we don't do original and, and adapted. I mean, again, because, again, we... I mean, I... I've what seen a waste of time. <laughs> I've, I've seen somewhere between thirty and forty new films this year, which I think is not bad going. But that's, that's still only good. still only a fraction of all the films that came out in a year. So to divide it up into adapted and, and original doesn't make a lot of sense for us. So it's just all screenplays. Some of these are adapted, some of them aren't. Um, who, uh, who? Which screenplays kind of stood out for you? Well, I really in, I I know this is controversial, but I really enjoyed the Batman. I thought that. I think has been overlooked for a lot of the for a lot of the kind of awards this year because obviously it's a it's a comic book film. But mm. I would I would nominate the Batman again, Glass Onion, because it was probably my favourite film of the year um, from the new films that I watched. Um, but the problem I have with Glass Onion is that I'm constantly comparing it to Knives Out, and I didn't think the story was as good mm-hmm. as Knives Out. So I'm kind of like, oh well, it wasn't as good as Knives Out. That doesn't mean it's not a good story. Yeah. Um, but I thought the Batman story was. I thought it was excellent, and what the the what everyone was criticizing with the Batman was is that it was three hours long. Why was it three hours long? But my argument was is that every single scene in that film I think needed to be in. in it. I, I remember we both said that when we reviewed um, the Batman. I mean, the Batman's sort of in and in and around my nominations as well, and I, I I agree with you. I remember thinking before I went to see it, that's going to be bloody long. But then when I watched it, it wasn't. And obviously, the screenplay is not the only reason why a film you know, justifies its length, you know, the pacing, the the editing, the quality of the, the direction and everything else. But I mean, they've written a story that justified three hours and didn't, I didn't think it dragged anywhere. Do you know what would have won for me if the film wasn't shit? It would have been um, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. I thought the story for that was brilliant. It's an excellent uh, idea that they totally fudged. Yeah, they? I thought the actual the, the, the dialogue or maybe the delivery of the dialogue was just it was it was a bit wet. For I me I I, the film. I get the feeling that there is a very good script somewhere for um for uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that that we did not get to see mm-hmm. on screen because I think the whole thing was so compromised from beginning to end in the actual production. Yeah. I've got a couple of nominations. Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, which I loved. Kenneth Branagh for Belfast was very good. Although I probably, if I have a criticism of Belfast, is oh, I thought it was an absolutely lovely film. I, I don't think I don't think the ending was I don't think the ending was perfect. Put it that way. It's a small criticism. Guillermo del Toro and Kim Morgan wrote the script for Nightmare Alley, which was also very very good. Um, Daniels, who are also the directors, um, but they wrote the script for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Tom Gormican for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. So those were my, you know, the ones that I liked. But uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think the Batman was extremely strong as well. I think the Batman really sort of came through. Um, so I, I mean, yeah. If this um, is, I mean, how how, well, how strong are your feelings on 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 screenplay here? Um. Yes, I think the screenplay award's just a bit of a weak award because nine times out of ten, the screenplay's also been written by the director. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the time, the screenplay, it's it's rare that you get a film nowadays that's written and the director hasn't had some sort of say in it. 
Well, yeah, so I mean, I feel- and that, that's as it should be. I mean, the screenplay can only ever be a component of the... I was saying this is people who write screenplays, but the, yeah, the screenplay huh. can only ever be a component of, of how the film succeeds. But I mean, I mean, the reason I like Everything Everywhere All at Once is it's such an inventive idea, and that comes from the writing. I think Nightmare Alley did an excellent job of, uh, you know, adapting the story and, and Licorice Pizza. Well, Licorice Pizza, it's so hard to separate. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson wrote, directed and and was a joint cinematographer for the film. So it's so hard to separate the script out from him because it's all, uh, you know, it's all the, um, uh, it, all the elements come together. Um, so it's almost almost like the difficulty of of, the, of getting the story that they're trying to tell across it almost kind of plays a part in it. Do you know what I mean? They think well, that, how how big a job did the the screenwriter have? You know. Well, put it this way: because Multiverse of Madness wouldn't have been my favourite script, and because it's everything everywhere all at once got similar kind of plot lines to it. To what? Like the Multiverse of Madness. I know there's is there like a multiverse in there. There is a multiverse, but they do it very differently, I and mean, that's one of the reasons I like it so, so much. Is, is is how cleverly they've, how much better they've done the same idea. If you see what I mean. Well, so to settle it, I'll go for everything, everywhere, all at once because it was similar to what would have been my favourite screenplay of the year. Yeah, very good. I mean, you. I mean, I, I. I mean, the tone is very different, and not everyone has loved it. But I mean, I. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I'll do that. So. Daniels, which is two people, both called Daniel, uh, win uh, best screenplay for everything, everywhere, all at once. Congratulations. Um, let's see how many. Uh, that's two wins for them already. Let's see how many more they do. The next award we have on our list is uh, best score, which. Uh, we don't. We're not as fussy as some of these uh, Academy people are. I mean, people disqualified from uh, from uh, the best score because of like what percentage of music used before was in it and blah blah blah. This is the music that they play for the film. It's not the best songs, needle drops that they've that have added to the soundtrack. It is the music you know that the composers put in the film to kind of act as the score. Um, what what jumped out for you uh, this year in in the music accompanying films? Well, that has to be the Batman. I completely, I thought this film, genuinely thought this film was 2021, so I didn't even look at it. Because I thought, I think I've mixed it up with Spider-Man. I, thought, I think Spider-Man came out in 2021. Yeah, yeah, and no, the ba- the ba- yeah, the Batman's definitely this year. So, yeah, yeah, the the Batman score was the best score of the year. Hands down. Yep, so, I mean, that was that was amongst my uh, my nominees as well. A couple of no- uh, honourable mentions that didn't make my shortlist, but were still good. Um, Ludwig Göransson's uh, score for Black Panther Wakanda Forever was good. Nathan Johnson for Nightmare Alley was good. Uh, the other nominees that I had were uh, Johnny Greenwood for Licorice Pizza, because I thought he was, uh, he was always excellent. Terence Blanchard for The Woman King. Uh, Joe Young-Wook uh, for Decision to Leave. That was a really nice score that really dovetailed very well with the film. I have Michael Giacchino for The Batman as well. And I also have uh, Junkie XL for 3,000 Years of Longing because that was a, a really, really wonderful score as well. Um, but, I mean, The Batman was right there up, up there with me as well. So the strength of your feeling combined with the fact that it's on my shortlist, I think, gives it to Michael Giacchino for The Batman. If we're not giving it to him, we're just going to have to give it to Hans Zimmer for Top Gun Maverick or something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> now I think again this is uh, this is another one where the Batman really deserves a lot of credit because you've got a supporting actor that had some very big shoes to fill and I think given what Hans Zimmer did on the Dark Knight trilogy the the composer for this film had some very big shoes to fill as well so yeah, I think totally. I, I mean I'm I'm totally behind that that getting the um, getting the award because I think that was very good so Michael Giacchino congratulations you win the double reel award for best score for 2022 um, the next one is uh, cinematography now. 
there's an interesting point on a podcast I was listening to about cinematography that um, uh, cinematography and other aspects of the film go hand in hand. Um, you know, the director often chooses where to put the camera, and the cinematographer, you know, is, is absolutely critical in terms of light. Um, cinematographers can have different roles. I mean, look at what Roger Deakins did with 1917. I mean, that you know, literally work with the camera that this you know was what made that film succeed or fail. Um, but production design matters as well. If you love the colours in a film, that's often the production design as much as the um, as the cinematography. But nonetheless, a good director of photography can really make a film. Um, who uh, who stood out for you on this? So, the problem I have with films these days is that they're really quite dark. Mm-hmm. Now, I love the Batman, but it had that problem of it was fucking pitch black from the majority of the film. Mm. And it was filmed in Glasgow, and it made Glasgow look like it was an absolute hellhole. Um so I wouldn't nominate that. Glass Onion didn't stick out for me. What else did I watch that um, that came out last year? The Menu wasn't too keen on that. Um, I, is it bold to say that it, it probably should be Avatar, even though I've not seen it? Is Avatar beautiful? Uh, Avatar is beautiful. Um, I didn't have that down in my in my really for cinematography. No, because I think the. <laughs> I've I've a little bit of a of a downer on CGI uh, films that are one hundred percent CGI and whether you can call that cinematography. Um, okay, but n- nonetheless, as, as as you know that that was um, that was I mean a, v- a very good looking film. Uh, I mean my nominations are uh, Michael Bauman and Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Dan Lauston for Nightmare Alley, uh, Claudio Miranda for Top Gun Maverick. Um, Jeff Cutter for Prey. That's just a good old-fashioned, wow, doesn't... They have really captured the beauty of the, the landscape there, really kind of... And I, know, and I know the landscape's doing a lot of the work, though, but it's really good. And also John Seal for 3,000 Years of Longing, because I feel like each of those are examples of where the filmmakers have actually needed to do something with the camera to make it all happen, whereas I just... I'm, I'm sure I'm being very harsh on the people who are doing this, but in, in Avatar 2, the the light the color the production the way it looks is it's so many other things other than what the cameraman is doing are kind of defining that film do you know what i mean it's like it's like the cinematography in life of pi it's so dependent on cgi i'm not i'm not sure you i'm not sure it it counts if you see what i mean so maybe it's more of a case of the visual effects for avatar more than anything else yeah if we were doing visual effects i'm not sure if we do we can we can we can see about that but um So for cinematography, I mean, my my strongest like, entry here was uh, Licorice Pizza because as well as capturing all the, the colours and styles and everything of, of the era, there's some absolutely just breathtakingly beautiful moments in that film. There's a bit where Sean Penn's character is drunkenly riding a motorcycle and this, the, 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 the scene itself is meant to be quite stupid and farcical, but because of the tone that Paul Thomas Hansen is setting for the film, while the events are stupid and farcical, the way it's shot and the way it's lit are just so so beautiful. Just like so beautiful that the, the image is like burned into my memory of of some of the the most amazing stuff on that. So that that one you know led for me. Nightmare Alley is a similar one where the, you know the the, the the there's so much technical work required to bring that world to life. The the um you know that film noir and to just get that amazing uh, sort of balance of kind of almost gritty and horrible environment but somehow shimmeringly beautiful to look at and i think you know the way the way the blade runner is probably one of the greatest pieces of cinematography at all time but a lot of what it what a lot of a lot of what it shoots is dystopian do you know what i mean 
and that kind of balance really does mean yeah. something to me. So, I mean, I'm leaning towards Licorice Pizza. I sure. thought it was really, really strong. I, I was similar to you, the Batman. It didn't quite make the cut for me because it was perhaps too dark. What I'm going to say is that while I didn't think The Banshees of Inisherin was that good, it is a very beautiful film, and that does rely a lot on the fact that it is in in Ireland where they filmed it, um, and it's just a naturally beautiful country. Um, so I would put that forward. I've not seen Licorice Pizza. You've not seen The Banshees of Inisherin, so we're kind of yeah. a, um, at an impasse. So I would I would put The Banshees of Inisherin forward because it is a naturally beautiful quite film, but what you've told me about Licorice Pizza, it makes me think that they've actually had to work harder to capture what they're trying to capture because filming in Ireland is a piece of piss. Filming in Ireland and Scotland and, you know, certain parts of, like, England and Wales, it's it does the job for you. You just have to take the yeah, camera to I- your site. And that's kind that's of what, what yeah, you're right. And that's kind of while I really like Prey and the cinematography in Prey, the job is half done for them. Whereas something like Top Gun Maverick, I mean, it's just with Top Gun Maverick, it's just a sheer challenge of these these jets are literally doing 800 miles an hour, and somehow you've managed to make it look amazing on screen. And it's just like a hard job. Do you know what I mean? It's like the the work being done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So does does that is that a part of the cinematographer's job though? I don't suppose they go to like site locations themselves i mean it still it still takes a you know t- like they're, 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 they're the it. ones you've got to get the shot they're the ones you've got to make it look the way it's meant to look and they will do things with the camera and the lenses when you see something like that that lens flare that jj abrams does i mean oh, that that fuck off. now but like it or dislike it that's on purpose do you know what i mean and someone has to do something with the camera to make that happen yeah. do you know what i mean Still fucking annoying, <laughs> but it's like light. light the, the the way the light is and the way the shot is. I mean, I mean, example of you know the 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 landscape can do the work for you, but it, it uh, when we watched Macbeth, the um, the Justin Kurzel film, I thought the cinematography on that was really quite flat. And having been to the places that they're filming, I just went, they've managed to make that look not as good as it, as it looks. Scotland look fucking boring. It doesn't. It look. It doesn't look as. A, half as good as it looks in real life so don't underestimate yeah. it. the cameraman still got put the camera in the right place to capture how beautiful it really is so okay. i mean i could see the argument for banshees of Anna sharon i think the argument for banshees of Anna sharon is that they've they've gone right we're going to film a film in a naturally beautiful place and that has to be commended as well mm-hmm. but i think it seems like licorice pizza had to work harder to capture what they were doing which mm-hmm. is again takes skill in itself i think they're both equally skilled in equal mm-hmm. measure i think it's just a case of what one you want to go for. Um, well, look, it's our um, it's our awards. We can make a joint award. <laughs> a joint award. Yeah, it's happened before. Shall we call it a dead heat? Why don't the- I? Why don't I hold a treat in my left and my right hand, and we'll make one of them licorice pizza and one of them banshees of Inisherin, and the dogs can pick. All right, that's a, that's a fantastic <laughs> idea. That whichever the dogs, whichever the, whichever the dogs pick, right. <laughs> So not um, we'll have to do this like a radio sports commentary. The, uh, the the treats are in the treats are in the hands. The dogs are going to pick it. Whichever one they pick between licorice pizza and banshees of Anna Sharon. Right. Sit. Sit. Good boys. Right. Okay. So decisions about to be made. So, I need them closer together so that the snipes both go at the same time. So, because oh, one's oh, just going to go, one's oh, just going to go for one treat and one's going to go for the other. Obi and Mac are making the final decision on best cinematographer. Oh, so, we could, we couldn't break the heat without their help. Pick left or right hand for like what awards? What like what films? Uh, 
Left hand is licorice pizza, right hand is banshees of Arnie Sharon. Okay. Three. Oh, be fuck off. He's, he's too eager for the treat. Sit. Sit. So, three, two, one. It's right hand, I'm afraid. Banshees of Anna Sharon. Yep. Good boys. So, congratulations to Ben Davis, the cinematographer of Banshees of Anna Sharon. He wins Best Cinematography, and this will be the only award he wins this year that was chosen by two dogs. <laughs> to his knowledge. <laughs> this is to his knowledge. Yeah, we don't, we don't know how the Globes pick their awards. So <laughs> I think they pick it in their bed sheets and burning yep. torches at this That's rate. That's right, so. yeah. So the the next uh, the next category on our list, which we did last year, is is best documentary feature. Now I, I have to say I didn't really watch any documentaries this year and I, last year. I, I don't really have a nominee for this, and if you don't, we might have to leave this one vacant. Um, did I watch any documentaries? You, it would take too long for me to go through every single thing I watched on Netflix. To be quite honest. Um, and I, does it have to be like a feature length documentary or can it be a series does it have to be like uh, yeah. an hour and a half long it, it, yeah I mean it's got to be a film it, you know I think oh, it's got to be then, roughly no. film length not got time for that okay well I think we'll, we'll leave that one vacant I mean we don't we don't watch a lot of documentaries I mean last year the um, the summer of soul documentary just stood out so much that uh, you know we you were able to give to something it, for that yeah. but th- this time you know it's not it's not a major focus of this so we'll leave that vacant rather than you know, rather than handed out thoughtlessly, although just having got a dog to pick a treat to choose a cinematography award, calculated. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we did, we did. You know, um, but that that's the way that goes. The documentary, we'll leave that vacant and see if there's a change this year. So we get we're getting into the we're getting into the big ones now. Um, uh, this is best director. Um, now, mm. in, interestingly enough, I think uh, have we got? Uh, I'm able to see this. Yeah, so all all of these directors, I think, had at least a part in the scripts of their of their films as well. So I think the yep. directors did have a large part to play. Although one of my nominees maybe is not necessarily the total creative force behind it. But um, what stood out for best director for you last year? It's got to be either Ryan Johnson or Matt Reeves. Can't okay. pick between the two dogs. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, it'd be between those two for me. Um, yeah, Ryan Johnson's really sort of found a niche for himself with these films, isn't he? Well, I thought he was dead in the fucking water after um, the Last Jedi. I was, yeah. I wasn't confident he'd make a good film ever again. Yeah, but he's, but he's he, two I, look, belters. Yeah, he didn't. That, that just didn't work the way he did that. But um, for director, I've got Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Um, I've got Guillermo del Toro for Nightmare Alley. I, I know that those are two directors that frankly is they're just not to your taste are they i've also got matt reeves for the batman i've got daniels for everything everywhere all at once and i've got joseph kosinski for top gun maverick because i did think he did an exceptional job i know that that's that film has been kind of driven and defined by um uh tom cruise i know there's obviously a lot from the original film they had to kind of find some way to either refer to or reproduce or something in this film but i thought joseph kosinski did an. i i think we it's a hard so, job that film, isn't it? it yeah, is, it's it's like when we I think we gave best director last year to um, the director of uh, Spider Man f- uh, No Way Home just because you had to recognise it's not easy to do a, a film like that that well. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, in a universe or in a franchise that's so well, I know Top Gun isn't technically a franchise, but Top Gun is such a well loved cheesy eighties film that to kind of mm-hmm. follow it up th- what thirty six years later mm-hmm. is it's a difficult job, and I think you got to commend that 
that achievement because you yeah, know for sure. how many how many times do we see you know how bad were the alien versus predator films and how bad of the like prometheus was a bit shit and alien covenant was a bit shit and that's examples of films that it, it, by the director that did those films originally trying to follow up in the same franchise or universe you know it's quite yeah yeah it's a it's a big action film that's got so much money spent on it the number of people in his ear you know that he would have had to kind of try and try and please i think he's i think he's lucky that tom cruise has got enough power to say this is how the film is so he's he, i would say he's working for a good producer who had his back there's some interesting stuff I've heard about Tom Cruise about, you know, the productions that he works on. I think, you know, uh, Christopher McQuarrie on uh, Mission Impossible does say that, you know, Tom Cruise kind of, it, all the shit that a director of a film that big has to deal with, it's quite handy to have someone who's kind of saying, no, this is how it is. Because all the, all the no one in the boardroom is going to derail that film because Tom Cruise can stop that happening. Do you know what I mean? Uh, just because yeah. he's got enough clout, but then the director has to go and do the job. And I think you know, Top Gun Maverick was you know that could have gone really wrong. I would I would say though that I probably I probably respect the job Matt Reeves did on the Batman uh, more than Joseph Kosinski for Top Gun Maverick because everything we just said about films like that aren't easy to do apply just as much for for the Batman. And and we've also seen examples of very bad Batman films and very good Batman films, and both of them would have been weighing heavily on Matt Reeves. Do you know what I mean? Because on the one hand, you've got the Dark Knight trilogy, but that's that's a double-edged sword for Matt Reeves because everyone's going, oh, well, is it going to be as good as Nolan? And on the other hand, you've got Batman, terrible Batman films that have come out since where people are going, oh, should we even be going here again? Yet more Batman. Is this an origin story? I was sceptical. And and I have to admit that Matt Reeves did, a, did an exceptional job there. So, I mean... Uh, Everything we just said about Joseph Kosinski goes, you know, goes even more so for Matt Reeves, I would say. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave this one with you because I agree with everything you've just said. I think you've made valid arguments for all of those films. So I'm going to leave this one with you. I didn't think any film last year particularly stood out for its direction, especially. I just thought the stories were really good Mm -hmm. and the acting was really good. And obviously the director has a part in that, but there's like... um, I mean, I'm... Here's what I'm going to do. I know you haven't seen the film and I know you're not his biggest fan, but Licorice Pizza really stood out for me last year. And Paul Thomas Anderson, when you give a, a, a you know a directing award, he has so much um, input into every aspect of his film. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's spent years kind of almost creating this world of the 70s that he's going to film in. And he writes the script and he's, I think he has a part in the editing and the cinematography. He really does completely control his films. Yeah. There are so many parts going into all of these films. And I just feel when it comes down to a director who really had everything to do with the success of the film, I'm, I'm you know, if, 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 if I'm going to ride for someone, if I'm going to die on a hill, it's for Paul Thomas Anderson. Well, go, we'll go with that then because... Like you said, he's involved in every part. He's not just the other director. The same when Tarantino yeah. makes a film, he's looking down the camera, he's checking the script, he's like giving direction. So we could, we'll go with yeah. Him. Which is, I mean, it's why it's ridiculous that Paul Tom, uh, that Quentin Tarantino's got two Oscars for his writing, but no one in the Academy's gone. Oh, maybe his directing needs some credit as well. Yeah, it's fucking it's stupid. Ridiculous. It's because no, no one wants to give him an Oscar for a you know a film that violent, which is ridiculous. Yeah, at this stage, it's but. it's the same thing happened to Scorsese for years of his career. It's like his films and, and Kubrick and, and maybe Hitchcock. He made he made his audience too uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, so congratulations, Paul Thomas Anderson. He can be uh, he can console himself for the fact that while the Academy hasn't recognised him yet, we have. Uh, so your post lord of fifty pence is waiting for you to come and collect. Um,
We now move to Best Actor. So Best Actor in a Leading Role. We don't do the globe thing where we, um, uh, you know, split genres or anything else like that. We, You know, the fact is we let anyone from any genre into our thinking. So who, whose performance has stood out for you this year? In acting this year? Um, I know everyone's wanting to say, you know, Ray Fiennes and Austin Butler for Elvis. I've not seen Elvis because I refuse to watch any more Baz Luhrmann films, but mm. apparently he is very, very good. So I feel yeah. kind of bad in that respect. Have you seen Elvis? No, I mean, same reason. It's like, I'll get, <laughs> I, I, I've just, I've got such a low tolerance for Baz Luhrmann. I mean, I'll, I probably will watch it. See, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Elvis either, and I'm certainly not a fan of the director of the film. So it's like, it's, it's just not a film that I was going to rush out to see. I, but to be fair, I have heard good things. Yeah, yeah, just you, you I've, I've heard I've heard bit, yeah. good things from people who normally have no patience for Baz Luhrmann shit. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I probably will have to watch it, but I've not watched it, so I, I can't be considered. I, I mean, I liked Ray Fiennes in the menu. I thought he was very good, um, but I mean, I, I think probably other people got my attention for like best performances this year. Yeah, um, I think for me, it's it's Daniel Craig needs some loving for Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc is one of the most interesting characters that we've we've had in ages he's so fun he's so kooky he's so camp he's great i love him he's just brilliant and i think that it would be my i'm, I'm gonna say daniel craig and there's i mean and the tone has to be right for that as well doesn't it which which yeah. stems from if he he's doing a very silly accent that he's 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 got to tread this tightrope of how seriously to take or how jokingly to take what he's saying and what's going on in the movie um, and I, you know, and, and I, I think I've I've bored enough people about saying that those sorts of performances don't get enough credit these days. I'd like to mention some other nominees that I thought were very good. I, I mean, I'm going to give an honourable mention to Robert Pattinson from the Batman, although he didn't make my final shortlist, and uh, Viggo Mortensen for Crimes of the Future. But the, I mean, the shortlist that I came up with included Bradley Cooper for Nightmare Alley because he was very good, uh, Cooper Hoffman for Licorice Pizza. The only thing with that is because that's more or less his screen debut. As, as, as terrific as he was on screen, and I know he's Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid, so he's bound to have some genuine talent in him, we'll not know till we've seen a couple more films whether that was a performance from him or whether he's just that kind of engaging presence on screen, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. And I also had a lot of time for Adam Sandler in Hustle. I mean, I, I really do think Shit, he was very good. I did good. see that this year. He was, oh, he, was yeah. really, he was really very good. And I remember thinking... Again, I know we've all done this. Like Adam Sandler is very good in 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 some films, which is how glaring it is that, that some of his films can be really terrible. The interesting thing about Adam Sandler in Hustle is that a lot of his performance in that film wasn't as far from regular Adam Sandler as say um, his performance in Punch Drunk Love is, or his performance in uh, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Um, yeah. But this one is this is Adam Sandler. He, he, he wasn't. There's a, there's a scene, for example, where he's on the phone and he's sort of shouting down the phone at someone to get someone to do him a favour, and he's not he's not going out of his way to not do that like Adam Sandler. And it's like, you know what? That bloody works. That bloody works in a serious movie. He movies. was just, terrific. He was really good in that. And I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, I thought that not only was that very good, it it, it was even a case of going, oh, actually, we can say there's this like there's this separate Adam Sandler that he does in these other films. No, this is Adam Sandler doing a you know a really really good just a straight up good performance. I really got a lot of time from him. The most annoying thing about Adam Sandler is that he's wasted fucking how many years since Punch Drunk Club? Which was that? 2003? 2002, something like that. 2002. So he spent the last 20 years doing Click and The Grown Ups and The Grown Ups 2 and Jack and Jill and That's My Boy and 
all of that fucking shit when he's had so many little when you know he's better than that you know he's better than that do you know what I mean but yeah I thought he was very good as well but I mean look I've I've kind of uh, driven a a couple of these you know last awards if you if you're if you're gonna if Daniel Craig's a hill you want to die on I have no objection to him getting this um yeah I mean I think it needs I don't think Glass Onion got enough credit because it was comfortably for me one of the best films of the year, if not the best, out with you know the Batman and um, I did actually enjoy Hustle, but I think it would have to be uh, it would have to be Benoit Blanc just because I don't think Glass Onion is getting enough praise and it should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would say overall as a film, Glass Onion didn't you know work for me as well as Knives Out, and I did enjoy it. It, it didn't blow me away. But I, I, I do recognise, I would really enjoyed Daniel Craig in that, in that role. And I think we should recognise how hard it is to do a role like that. Because I think it's like, he's got to be funny, he's got to be quirky, he's got to be all of these things. And, you know, it's, it's so easy to kind of shed a few... That, that, that's harsh. I'm not going to phrase it like that. I think it's easier to do something dramatic and emotional and, 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 and get the audience shedding a tear than it is to make an audience laugh with a, a with a, a performance where you've got to get the tone just just right and t- i think in terms of technical difficulty i think what daniel craig did is very under- and i think daniel craig's a very underrated actor because i just think that he's james bond and i think it's good to see him oh yeah, he's yeah terrific he's done every- i mean logan lucky was completely out of like his yeah. comfort zone yeah and i think he's probably you know uh, now that he's now that he's not bond anymore and he was a very good james bond i think he's really enjoying getting to play a wider range of parts isn't he yeah. so i'm I'm prepared to, to, to close that and say the best actor is Daniel Craig for Glass Onion. Going once, going twice. Done. Daniel, Daniel Craig wins best actor for Glass Onion. Uh, well done, Daniel. Now for, now for best actress. What, what actress has stood out for you this year? Um, from the films I've watched, there weren't many leading roles, which is a bit of a sad indictment of the films I saw. Um... Because again, I put Janelle Monae as a supporting, and then other than that, there's not really many lead leading ladies in the in the new films that I saw last year. Um, what about you? Um, well, I had an honourable mention here. She didn't make my final uh, five. Zoe Kravitz for the Batman because I did feel like that was a leading role. Yeah. I also I really liked Tilda Swinton, and I really liked her performance in Three Thousand Years of Longing. Although I didn't quite get it into the my shortlist just because. The, that film didn't quite hang together as much as I enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? Um, as good as she was, because Tilda Swinton's always good, you know? Um, I thought Amber Mid-Thunder was very good in Prey. Um, uh, Viola Davis in The Woman King was a very good performance. And I thought Michelle Yeoh is excellent everything ever all at once. There's a lot of Oscar buzz around her, which I think I'd uh, I'd really enjoy if she, if she won. And I thought Alana Haim was excellent in, in Licorice Pizza. My favourite performance by a leading actress uh, all last year was uh, Tang Wei in Decision to Leave. And, and I should mention that Park Hae-il in Decision to Leave uh, was on my shortlist for, for actor as well. Um, but Ta- Tang Wei for Decision to Leave, uh, she was absolutely amazing in a, in a really, a, a, again, a role that was really hard to do and just really made the film. Okay. I, I can get on board with that. Um, not Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. It was a close run thing. I, I did have a lot with it, but I just, t- to be honest, right, d- decision to leave. Park Hale, the the lead actor for that. Um, I, I'm not sure if I did actually mention him on my shortlist. He's definitely in my shortlist for best actress. One and Tang Wei for for best actress. They, 
they they carried the whole film and their performances together were just so good that I mean this I mean I if I you know if, if it was if I if someone was to ask me straight up what I think the best acting performance of last year was it was Tang Wei uh, in Decision to Leave. Okay, I, I, I'll get on board with that. Right, you are. Well, Tang Wei for Decision to Leave. Uh, congratulations, you win the second annual double reward for Best Actress, uh, and we're very happy to have you on our books. Um. So we're now getting down into some of the other awards, which we can, you know, the best animated feature will be followed by best film. And then we've got a couple of sort of more, likely less conventional awards that we often do. But uh, did you watch any animated features that would, that you would put down as a nomination for best, for best? Uh, I don't think they came out in 2022. So no, did you? I only have one and that's Apollo 10 and a half by Richard Linklater. Was it good? I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I thought it was an amazing film. Um, it was technically interesting because it was more rotoscoping, similar to what he did on um, Scanner Darkly uh, and, and Waking Life, which is an early film he did. And it's just a, it's a lovely idea because what it is, it, 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 it's about a boy growing up in Texas who, who's absolutely fascinated with the space race in the 60s. And he imagines that there's been a, 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 a mix-up with the design on, on the Apollo mission and everything is just uh, slightly too small. So they can't send a bloke, they can only send a kid. So he's recruited to fly to the moon and he flies to the moon to test that everything works a couple of weeks before the real Apollo mission. Um, and it's that's a whole flight of imagination, but he uses it to, to tell the story of the space race, to tell the story of what it was like watching the space race and what it meant for people back then. And 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 because and, it's Richard, Richard Linklater, he's got this wonderful story of childhood. And I just loved it. I just loved that film from beginning to end. It was a really, it just, it just made me feel good from the minute I started watching it. Um, and, and was a really good way of looking at the space race and, and the Apollo missions. So if you're if you don't have one that you want to nominate, I I would I would put my name down against that. Yeah, go with that. Okay, well, best animated feature out of a very short shortlist goes to Richard Linklater for Apollo Ten and a Half. Congratulations, Richard. Um, I've got to say, it's not getting much love in the other awards. It's not in. I haven't seen it nominated for 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 best animated feature on the Globes, and I'm wondering if it's going to get any recognition. I think it's a fantastic film. Did that fucking Turning Red win? Um, because that film was shit. Did they did they give out an award for animated feature? Yeah, they gave it to um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, oh, and, okay. and Turning Red was nominated. Um, I think that's harsh. I I think Apollo Ten and a Half should have been nominated there, and I don't know if perhaps it doesn't qualify and the big awards as animated because they have actually like the actors in there, like the guy out of Chuck, what's his name, Zachary Levy, and, and all of these other people are actually there acting, and then they animate around them. But there's, it's an animated feature, do you know what I mean? They've just used actors, physical actors, for some of it. It's not really any different from motion capture, but maybe maybe that, maybe that it doesn't qualify. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, that's that. Congratulations, Mr. Linklater. I mean, he's, he's won enough awards, um, but I'm sure he'd be happy to hear about this one. Um, best film. Best film of last year. I've got a sort of longish list here just because that's what the Oscars do and I wanted to kind of mention you know a bunch of good films that I saw but what stood out for you? Uh, Glass Onion Batman for me those two so Batman is on my list as is Everything Everywhere All at Once Nightmare Alley Decision to Leave uh 
which I really liked. And it's kind of, it's one of those films where the more I think about it since I've watched it, the more it sort of weighs, you know, weighs in on me. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent I really enjoyed. Probably wouldn't call it the best of the year, though. Top Gun Maverick was very, very good. Uh, Belfast, uh, Prey, Crimes of the Future and Licorice Pizza. Um, Licorice Pizza is probably my favourite film of last year in the, in the same way that uh, The Green Knight was my favourite film of the year before. But, you know, we've got to kind of arrive at a consensus here. I mean, the, the Batman is on my list and he's on yours. So I don't, we could you know, do it simply as that. But n- nothing else stood out for you out of the, the new films you watched last year? No, I didn't like the menu. Didn't like the banshees. I mean, the and I don't, I've, not, I've not seen the ones like the Fablemans. Is that even out here yet? No, I mean that. So, I think I think that's released. I don't. When, that may. I, I haven't certainly haven't seen it, so it's not eligible for our awards. I don't think it came out in the U, in the UK until early January. Yeah, so it's quite hard because the the Golden Globes is obviously in America, and those films have already come out. So for us, it's. Yeah, we're, we're, we're planning our own for it. Yeah, yeah it's, Belfast yeah, it, technically came out in twenty twenty one, didn't it? But it was released. wasn't released Wasn't released in the UK till twenty twenty two. Such which a is, widespread. Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, we've got films here that I mean, I, I think Licorice Pizza literally came out on like the second of January twenty twenty two. It's yeah, it's over a year old now. Um, but yeah. So I mean, Glass Onion and the Batman are your strongest ones. I mean, do you feel strongly about the Glass Onion ahead of Batman or? Um, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was another great, you know, the problem you have with like whodunits is that it's like in the same universe and it's like shortly after the other you might get a bit, hmm, that's not that good. Um, like see the um the Poirots that have been coming out the um the Kenneth Branagh ones. I thought the first one was boring and the second one was even worse. Mm-hmm. So that that's the kind of trap you can fall into because you've got to keep the audience interested, but at the end you could, you're going to know who did it mm-hmm. and that's the kind of same formula that has to follow and I thought it did it very well um, in terms of the Batman I just I think it was just it was really underappreciated for the fact that we're so used to Batman fighting with you know aliens and monsters and all that stuff with these horrible Zack Schneider films and then the the Nolan trilogy wasn't as much of him being a detective but just like trying to save his city Mm-hmm. from like impending doom and it wasn't as much of detective work whereas this was very much him basically playing a like a police officer trying to decipher like <clears throat> what's been going on you know analyzing crime yeah. scenes and forensics and stuff and i just thought i mean keep me interested for three hours and have a really strong story was just brilliant i thought it was really well done see, i mean i love batman the, the last the three three hours flew by i think just like you i think when you've done something like the dark knight trilogy i think it's really that's really hard to come out and actually be, be genuinely worthy of having a conversation. I don't think it's as good as, good as The Dark Knight, yeah? But I reckon if Christopher Nolan had made The Batman, he would be nearly as proud of it as, as he was of The Dark Knight. I think it stands comparison with other films in that trilogy. And that and I'm saying that really bloody loving The Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, and I think he's he's managed to do that as well by doing it his own way, not like The Dark Knight. I, I think like you, I think I like the way he's, he's made Batman more of a detective, which I think is possibly the truest to the the origins of Batman of any film we've 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 ever seen um, in in the Batman franchise. And I just thought it was generally very good. I think Robert Pattinson did an excellent job. I think the whole thing held together really well. Um, I think if I was if I was gonna, if I was gonna go into bat for one of those two films, pun intended, no pun intended, I, I would go for the Batman. Okay, we'll go for that then. So here is our our drum roll and fanfare. 
congratulations of all those nominees. The best film of 2022 for the double real voters is The Batman. Uh, the, the and the nominee we've got down for that is Matt Reeves. So I think Matt Reeves has quietly built himself up over the past couple of years as actually one of the better directors working in Hollywood today, I would say. Well, he's grossly underappreciated for the fact that he made that incredible Planet of the Apes trilogy that didn't yeah. get any plaudits. Really, really good. CGI'd. Mm. And um, yeah, but mostly CGI'd because you need CGI to do the, the apes properly. But around that, he built a really, really good story. I think he directed two, two and three out of that trilogy, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. Yeah, it was Rupert something did the first one, but he really oh. took that on and made it his own. But he directed the first Cloverfield film, which I think is really underrated. And it's just like. Let me in. Yeah, and it's just like. He, he looks like, put, put it this way, if a big film, a big property like comes up to be filmed and you need someone who, you know, it's going to be a big film, it's going to have a lot of money spent on it and you and, and you actually care enough about that story to want to see someone do it so that it makes money but is also still really good, he'd be one of the people I'd pick. Do you know what I mean? I'd say, well, who would you like to, who would you like to direct that movie? And I'd say, actually, Matt Reeves would be one of the people. If I hear Matt Reeves is directing something, I'd go, Oh, that'll probably be quite good. That is, and he's really, or, or even very good. And I thought the job he did on Batman was 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 excellent. So, congratulations, Matt Reeves, uh, uh, and and everyone involved in the best film of twenty twenty two, according to our votes, the Batman. So we we come now to some like sort of other sort of more honorary or sort of slightly quirky awards that we tend to do. Um, the ones that we've got here are film we wish we'd seen last year, best best sort of cameo, because sometimes there are performances that don't quite qualify as a uh, as a supporting performance, but really kind of uh, deserve to, to be mentioned anyway. Worst film, biggest disappointment, worst acting performance, worst accent, and a double real special award for the best film that we did for the podcast in our in our features. Is any other awards you'd like to kind of throw out there? We can just kind of say any, like anything that happened this year that you'd like to mention and and and, and give some sort of uh, sarcastic or or otherwise award to. Um, I I kind of want to say the I think the worst decision of twenty twenty two was to continue the production of Rust. I think if we can include that in either one of the categories that you've made there or make our own because that's an absolute fucking car crash, you know. What happened was obviously terrible, and then they've gone, yep, we'll continue to make this film, um, which I think is a, a bold decision. But yeah, is it a worse decision than canning the whole Batgirl film? I mean, mor- mo- mo- morally, obviously. Um, yeah, um, I, I can go along with that. I think that's... Uh, it- it, it kind of shows that Hollywood still has a has a problem with doing the right thing sometimes. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm prepared to do that. So we're going to give a uh, our equivalent of a Razzie. Uh, these are some of the le- the less honourable awards to win. Uh, the worst decision of 2022 is the, the the decision of the film company to continue production of Rust. Uh, and uh, you don't get a post order for 50 pence uh, for that. You get a picture of us sticking the visa up at you. Um, so you pay us 50 pence that's right well done you idiots for that terrible decision what about films you wished you'd seen um, from last year that uh, that uh, like, that you'd like to give a, a shout out to um, I think everything everywhere all at once I think has kind of passed me by a little bit um, I'm annoyed that I didn't have the time to watch Avatar at the IMAX in Glasgow because mm. that's you know I'm it's the biggest screen in Scotland. I would have liked to have seen it there. I don't know if it's still on right enough, but 
Avatar. Um, I'm sure you. I'm sure you could get uh, get Avatar somewhere. It's just on that IMAX screen as well. Mm, I'm thinking yeah, it probably is because there's not yeah, not many you. films get put on the IMAX. Yeah, yeah. You. Um. So for me, I mean, obviously, I saw everything over there on Avatar. So maybe what we'll do here is we'll have a nomination from you, the film you wished you'd seen, and have the films I wish I'd seen. So. I did have The Northman down on this, but that's had such mixed reviews. I'm not sure I should put that down. I mean, I will watch it. I mean, because I like that kind of period of history and everything else. And that Robert Eggers is quite an interesting director. But I've had very mixed reviews about The Northman. So I, I I can't say that's the one that I, you know, I'm totally kicking myself for not seeing. There's two films that I really wished I'd seen that I must get around to. Um, RRR, or uh, I don't know quite how you pronounce it, but it's the, the title is Three R's. Um, and that's on Netflix. So I've got every opportunity to watch it. I just want to... It's like three hours long and apparently it's a big action film. So I want to make sure I've got time to watch it properly on the big telly and all that sort of thing, um, which is like a, a historical action epic uh, set in, in, in historical India. And also Memoria, that film with Tilda Swinton. So those are the two that stood out for me as the ones that I wish I'd seen. If you were going to pick one of those two, Everything Everywhere and Avatar, that you really wished you'd seen, which would which would you call it? Probably out? Everything Everywhere all at once because everyone's raving about it. No one's really enjoying Avatar 2 as much as they enjoyed the first one, I don't think. so. Yeah, Avatar, I mean, I, I watched it and I, I, it was everything I expected, which is, which is fine. Everything Everywhere, I absolutely loved. I know that not everyone does. I do think you need to see it. If you're interested in the multiverse, this is really a really inventive way of looking at that. Um, be interesting to see what you think of it. Okay. Uh, so for you, the, the film you wished you'd seen last year is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And for me, it's Memoria. So we will hand out awards for those two. Um, best cameo. So these are the performances that stand out, although they don't quite count as a supporting actor performance. I can't actually think of one. Can you? I've got a couple. Um, Bradley Cooper as John Peters in Licorice Pizza was really eye-catching. But I wouldn't call it a supporting actor performance just because it was, it was a, such a specific subset of the film. Um, Michael Wincott in Nope. I know he's actually in that quite a lot, but it did feel like he was specifically there just to steal the movie, and I really enjoyed him in that. But the one, you know, you know the one that had me kind of really talking about it afterwards was Colin Farrell as in in the Batman as the Penguin. Okay, because that kind of slipped under the radar because he's not the main villain. That's um, that's the Riddler and the uh, the lead uh, gangster played by John Turturro, which is the part that uh, that Tom Wilkinson played in in the Dark Knight. Carmine Falcone. Carmine Falcone. But it was like they brought him in there to to set up. Essentially, he's obviously going to be a villain in a future Batman, uh, you know, film in, in the Batman series. Um, I thought he was brilliant, considering you know how many times like it's they could almost have done it the way they had Hawkeye in the first Thor film, where he's only in it for a couple of minutes, and everyone went, "Oh, Jeremy Renner, that bet, I bet that comes back." Do you know what I mean? But for this, he he really did have it. It was a significant part in the story, sort of. But he, it was like they did. They introduced him, but actually, it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a needless bit of fan service. It wasn't like, oh, that's distracted us from the main story. It worked in the story, and then afterwards, I went, fucking hell, was that Colin Farrell? Do you know what I mean? And he was a really entertaining character in the way that they kind of showed him, kind of tied up and waddling, which is how he got his nickname. I just thought, um, it made me think. I really hope he gets a, a lot more airtime in the next Batman film. I know they've mentioned the Joker and everything else, but I hope Matt Reeves and and um, Robert Pattinson are all lining up for another film, and I hope Colin Farrell is all over it, uh, which is why he stood out for me. Okay. Um. Yeah, I really enjoyed Colin Farrell in the Batman, but um, 
I'm happy to go with um, the guy from Nope, but I do think The Penguin was actually a really underrated and funny performance in a quite dark and miserable film. Yeah. Um, if you're happy to go with that. Yeah, let's give it to you. Best cameo goes to Colin Farrell for The Batman, which I'm sure his uh, his, his award will go pride of place right next to his Golden Globe for The Banshees of Arnie Sheeran. Um, worst film? Worst film that you saw in 2022? Oh, I'm trying to think of like films that I just had to turn off right away. Um, I feel like it's harsh to say that The Menu was the worst film of 2022, but I don't think it was really overrated. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't that great. Um, it wasn't as great as everyone's making it out to be, should I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? Um, my, my shortlist for this, the worst films that I saw last year, are Deep Water, Full Love and Thunder, and Blonde. Yeah. And, I mean, Deep Water was just really crap and lifeless. Thor Love and Thunder really, really pissed me off, not just for being a bad film in its own right, but for all the the goodwill from the first, you know, from, uh, not the first, but from, you know, Taika Waititi's first Thor film, uh, Thor Ragnarok. I thought it squandered all of that and just totally threw it all away. And it was like poor CGI. It just, nothing worked in that film. Um, and for me, I, I absolutely hated Blonde. I thought not; it was an utterly unethical exercise. I was genuinely disgusted by the movie. I thought it was absolutely appalling what they did. Not just in terms of a bad movie, but I was genuinely morally upset by what they did. I really do have a massive objection to that film. I mean, I've not seen it, but as soon as I saw that they were doing it, I thought, eee. I think it was very bold putting Anna Darmas's Marilyn Monroe in the film, but I think the rest of it was just a bit of a hot mess, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, that's the only good thing about it, and it's it's all also it's a terrible shame that obviously Anna Darmas is going to go look. She's young and beautiful, and she's always going to be asked to play certain types of parts and always be treated as like not necessarily given the credit she deserves as, as a really good actress. So she must have gone playing Marilyn Monroe in like a serious drama. It, she's got to go for it. Do you know what I mean? Career-wise and, and, and as a challenge for an actor. So, of course, she went for it. And she was totally ill-served by the film. And Marilyn Monroe was... I mean, it's really disgusting. It's really quite disgusting what, they, what, what they've what they said and done, you know, to Marilyn Monroe in this film. Yeah. So, this is one I'll... This is a hill I'll die on. I think Blonde was absolutely despicable piece of cinema. Yeah, I'll go with that then. Okay, so an award they're probably not too happy about receiving, but it won't be the the only worst film award they receive uh, for 2022. Uh, Blonde and uh, Andrew Dominic, uh, you can go fuck yourself. Um, (laughs) Biggest disappointment of last year. Which film disappoint you the most? Hmm. Probably The Banshees of Inner Sharon. I know it, I watched it this year, but I think it came out last year, didn't it? Mm. But anyway, I'm going with that. And um, yeah, I just had such high hopes because it was the same two sort of leads or lead and supporting from In Bruges and the same director and screenwriter from In Bruges. And as discussed in Real One, I thought that you know, Seven Psychopaths was utter shite, but I was willing to for, forego that because it was, you know... Because of what he'd done before. Because of Inbruge and how much I love Inbruge. 
And I didn't think it was all that. I thought it had some funny moments, but I thought it was quite dull and quite weak in a lot of its mm. performances and script and just everything. I just didn't I didn't get on board with it. So mm. for me, it would be that. Yeah, so the the, the three biggest... Or, dis- sorry, sorry, or Thor Love and Thunder, because I was so excited for that too, because of what was good about Thor Ragnarok, sorry. Yeah. See, Thor, Thor Love and Thunder's on my list. So is X and, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I mean, that too, yeah. a- a- X isn't winning for me because while I was disappointed by it, I didn't really know much about it before I went to see it. But when it when I heard what the description was and, and sort of watched the first 10 minutes of the film, I thought, oh, this could be really good, actually. And it wasn't. It, it, it didn't achieve, you know, it, it kind of wasted an opportunity. But I wasn't, I can't say, I, I, I can't be that disappointed with the film I didn't know that much about before I went to see it. Do you know what I mean? Um, Thor Love and Thunder was a huge disappointment, but I'd already kind of, Marvel was going so badly by that point that I kind of, I was kind of stealing myself for the film not being very good in the first place. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was a big disappointment because I, I do remember... It should have been here, It should have been so good. I mean, Thor Love and Thunder should have been good, right? But Thor Love and Thunder has already had that treatment once with, um, uh, with Ragnarok, and there's always the possibility that they'll do it again and it won't be quite as good. But Doctor Strange had a good start, um, but it's a standard origin story, yeah? And then he, he takes part in the Avengers films, and that's brilliant. He's a, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch taking part in, in that, that climax to the Avengers was all very good. But then when they say, we're doing Doctor Strange, but we're getting Sam Raimi in as a director, and it's going to be set in the multiverse, and it's going to have sort of horror elements, and it's going to be mind-bending, and it's going to take you from world to world, and you won't know what the hell, you know, what, what the hell's going to happen next. That the difference between what that could and should have been and what it ended up being was 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 huge. The gulf in in, in achievement versus potential was pretty big there. Yeah. What if you if you had to pick one, where would you go? Um, I was really um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I feel like it's harsh to put the banshees on a Sharon in here. I think I was really excited for Doctor Strange and I was really excited for Thor Love and Thunder. Um, Which did you hate the most out of those two? See, I didn't hate Thor Love and Thunder. Um, I actually I really... And I didn't hate Doctor Strange. I just hated that they wasted an opportunity. They did, like su- we, did such a poor, poor job of it, yeah. Yeah, we had... A, Thor Love and Thunder was just a story that I think... Unfortunately, they all signed on to do, and then nobody really wanted to do it, but they did it anyway. Yeah, and and I still think Christian Bale was pretty good in it. I think they had a fa- they had a failure of tone because Christian Bale was taking it all quite seriously, and and no one else was in the movie. Do you know what I mean? And and I think, but you could see he was his was a decent story, and I think he played it very well. And he was he was one of those villains that you don't entirely that you that you you can you. You, villains have a, at least some sort of like sympathetic motivation which is always quite good and you know it's not like there was nothing good in it do you know what I mean if I'm going to try and row back from my you know uh, disappointment of it they, they, it, they, there were some things that were good in it Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madison the biggest disappointment for me with, with Doctor Strange was that in the trailer they showed these scenes of like the kind of the, the zombified Doctor Strange and the Doctor Strange, where his face is coming apart, as he's you know, as you know, because he's in a in a different universe where everything is weird, and those things ended up only being in the film for like a fraction of a second. And I felt I'd been missold a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
I, I don't know. There was a lot of letdowns last year. I'm struggling to pick. Um, I'm going to go for Doctor Strange. I don't okay. know about you. I can I can live with that. I, I in fact I beforehand I was kind of leaning towards Thor: Love and Thunder, but the more I think about it, the more I've I've made a, I've 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 listened, just listened to myself there making a much stronger case for Doctor Strange than Thor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think Doctor Strange should have been much better because mm-hmm. they just wasted the story they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So. Doctor Strange wins biggest disappointment, uh, not just from us, I imagine. I think it's won a few biggest disappointment awards, for figurative and otherwise, for last year. But congratulations, in inverted commas. Um, the next award we have on our list is Worst Acting Performance. Do, does anything stand out for you as, for the worst acting last year? Hmm. I, I have two. Um, okay. Uh, one is Russell Brand in Death on the Nile. Oh, yeah, he's in that. Because that really was a case of... I mean, Russell Brand had a couple of moments in films where it was like he was playing a Russell Brand-type character and people find it quite funny, like in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But then he goes to, um, what's it called? Rock of Ages, that rock musical. And he can't do a Brummy accent. And it always pisses me off when a British actor can't do a British accent. It's like, you're not (laughs) fucking good enough. And he's not really a very good actor and he was piss poor in Death on the Nile. And it was just like... It's almost like, what are you doing casting him in something like that? He's not even, you know, he's he, he doesn't look for one second like he, he belongs in the 1920s or, or whenever that film is set. Do you know what I mean? And he's, you know, really just straight up basic things like delivering speeches and lines were done quite badly. Like someone who's getting paid for a performance in a big film should be able to do better than that. Uh, and, and Russell Crowe in Thor, Love and Thunder. Yep, go with that. I forgot that about that horrendously that racist accent. You know, shit. Uh, yeah, that yeah, was get that. Fucking shit. Um, so let's go, Russell Crowe as well. So Russell Crowe, he, I mean, and he's got form for this in the past as well. And do you remember that ridiculous attempt at a Cockney accent he did in the Mummy with Tom Cruise? No, I've not seen yeah, that. Film. He wants bloody, <laughs> sh- he wants bloody shooting for that. Um, so yeah, that's another one. Especially for someone who's won an Academy Award for their acting, to to turn up and do something like that is really unforgivable. The difference between him and Russell Brand is Russell Brand isn't very good, so it's no surprise it turns yeah, out he's not like, very good. But we know that Russell Crowe is better than that. Yeah, Russell Brand's a you know he's a an intelligent guy who does podcasts now. He used to be used stand, to do comedy. He's, he's a stand up comedian who, who who does a bit of acting, whereas Russell Crowe is an Oscar winning actor, a multi award winning actor, and he, he really he really needs a slap for for what he did in Thor: Love and Thunder. Yeah, so that's why you've won that, mate. Okay, we now go to worst accent, which kind of follows on from the previous one because I'm, I'm, nom- <laughs> I'm nominating Russell Crowe for another award for the same performance because that accent is atrocious in Thor: Love and Thunder. Russell Crowe. Yeah. The worst, no thing, disagreement. The worst thing about that, that accent is that, it, that the Greeks and the Italians had to sit down and discuss which of them ought to be offended by that accent. Because <laughs> I, I think he was going for Greek, and I, I don't think- even think it's the Greek show sounds. I think it's the entire Eastern Seaboard. Yeah. of the fucking Ionian Sea, but yeah. It's like, honestly, I think I think he watched Harry Enfield as Stavros on telly a couple of times and thought he could do the accent. And it just, so, I mean, that's that's almost like an honorary award and he's already, but I think his, 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 his performance deserves two, two awards for shitness. So there you go, Russell. You win worst acting performance and worst accent. So, so that's that's for the films of 2022. Looking back, do you, I mean, I mean, the Batman's won quite a few awards there. If Good. you look at the number of films that, that awards the we've just given out to the Batman, we gave it to supporting actor one, score two, um, 
direct uh, and and best film because we gave direct who do we give director to Paul Zanzan so bat, 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 the Batman stands out with kind of three awards well four awards actually because uh, um, Colin Farrell won for the Batman so four awards for the Batman that, that stand out we've shared it shared out a little bit the other um, the other award we give out this this time of year is uh, best film that we did for the podcast so our our features like uh, the classic and, and and the hidden gem i mean there's been a, so, sometimes a remake comes out and we like it but it's mostly between the hidden gems and the classics that that we that we looked at last year for this and it's done again i mean i mean i've, I've done a bit of a long list but please feel free to kind of name some others that you might have liked we had uh, the fisher king 1917 uh, sorcerer i love not nightcrawler blowout battle royale the city of lost children paprika you were never really here. Pig, Birdman, Get Shorty. I mean, there are others. Let me go and have a look at some of the. My other cousin Vinny's in there as well. Did we do that this year? Yeah. I thought we did that the previous year. I thought we did my the cousin Vinny year? the previous year. I could have sworn. No, because I thought we watched it when I was when we were all down, not just myself. I thought it was when you were down the previous time, last uh, August 2021. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think you're right, yes. <laughs> time does fly, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did My Cousin Vinny. Again, uh, man looks things up on the internet. I, I keep a log of what we've done and when we've done it. Yeah, episode 17, mate, My Cousin Vinny. Jeez, oh. I think it's just because... I thought I watched it with when my partner came down last year and not the year before. No, it, but, was, it was the year before. Oh dear. <laughs> I think I think you showed her the film after seeing it, though, didn't you? I think you got to watch. I must it. have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, my my cousin Vinny, my, good as it is, is is ineligible for reason, you know, for chronological reasons. Well, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the uh, other films that we just that we that we watched uh, for the podcast, aside from the ones that I mentioned, um, The Handmaiden, Straw Dogs, uh, The Wages of Fear, uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, The Longest Yard. Although that wasn't it, that was actually a remake, but we we both ended up quite liking it. Pump up the volume, um, Under the Skin, which we ended up uh, not really loving too much. Two Days in the Valley, The Parallax View, Get Shorty. Did I mention I mentioned Get Shorty? Annihilation, Outland. Um, any anything jump out at you for that? Uh, I really enjoyed the Birdman feature and the nineteen seventeen feature. Yeah, I mean they both made my shortlist. If you were going to toss up between those two, which way would you go? Oh, both coincidentally, both films that are one continuous shot. Um, mm, that, that is very interesting. Actually. I didn't even they mean both, that. They would both stand out like that. Um, I probably lent a little bit more towards 1917 than Birdman, as much as I enjoyed Birdman. I thought 1917 really was tremendous. Yeah. Um. But if you were to if you were to say you were going to die on a hill for Birdman out of those two films, I, I enjoyed that very well, nearly as much. Thing is, right? Does it have to be just from the Hidden Gem or Classics? Because you no, it can, a, be, it, can, it can be anything we watched for the podcast. Well. I didn't watch it for the podcast, but I watched it last year, and you watched it for the podcast, but. The Shining's in there, and 2001's in there for the Kubrick Odyssey. If you're that's true. To kind of that's, I, I, that I, I haven't discussed the Kubrick, Kubrick Odyssey. I could very easily get on board with one of those two. Did you? Which would you go with out of those two? 2001 and The Shining. The Shining's your favourite Kubrick film. Yeah, I'd probably go with The Shining. Um, Should we go with The Shining? 
Yeah, I'll go with that. Very good. Classic. And didn't didn't get enough praise at the time right enough, so we'll give it, it some praise. It was nominated now. for a Razzie, for fuck's sake. Yeah, exactly. Because the Razzie's a bit mental. That's just like butthurt fanboys, that is. Okay, well, the Double Reel Special Award for Best Film Featured in the Podcast this year goes to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is very good. So that rounds up our awards. Um, how do you feel? We've, we've kept to time, which a lot of award ceremonies don't do. I'm reasonably happy about that. And no one had to come on stage and slap us, which is good. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Despite all the misbehaviour of the dogs on the uh, at your end. Exactly. My dogs are better behaved than Will Smith. <laughs> um, I would just like to take this moment to say that Jada Pinkett Smith shags other men. And that for anyone who felt bad that Chris Rock made a joke about her having a shaved head is a fucking idiot. And Jada Pinkett Smith, I'll say it again, has sex with other men. Just for anyone that felt bad for her last year. Sorry. Yeah, we couldn't get Ricky Gervais to host, so we got to put in our own harsh comments about the stars. Oh, so. imagine Ricky Gervais <laughs> hosted that Oscars. Could you imagine if Will Smith came on stage to try and slap him? Uh, oh. I, see, I think Chris Rock didn't realise that Will Smith was coming to slap him. I reckon Ricky Gervais would have realised and run for it a lot sooner than Chris Rock did. <laughs> he would have carried his little half pint that he always has as yeah, well. Yeah, like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there you go. Um, thank you very much for your participation in that. I feel like we've uh, we've uh, we certainly it's certainly a better awards show than the, the the Oscars two years ago, which was absolutely dull as fuck, uh, and certainly more dignified than last year's Oscars because nobody slapped anybody, as you say. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed these uh, these nominations. Uh, you know, check out the socials. We'll give you a full list later. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, that concludes episode thirty three. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited in Audacity and hosted on Anchor FM. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Apocalypto is currently available to watch, included with Amazon Prime. The story of Paul Verhoeven's crusade is told in the David Hughes book Tales from Development Hell. One version of the script is available online and we will post the link in our socials. Outside of Double Reel, you can find us both hosting a non-film related podcast, The Adamson's Versus. Our latest episode, The Adamson's Versus Scrooge McMusk, is out now. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Our next episode will be our regular episode 34 next month. Keep an eye out for any special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. Till next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. And don't go trafficking any girls in Romania. <laughs> uh, and getting yourself a Bugatti. Yeah, go fuck yourself, Andrew Tate. <laughs>